Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. McGrady will make the pass. McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does. Got it! Ross... And Amir. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gets it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. It's hit from the corner. Van Fleet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Matthew, how's it going? Mike. I have to apologize to you and to everybody. When you're sick and the weather changes, you lose your voice. And that's what happened to me the other day. But I'm glad that, you know, I wanted to do the podcast with Jordan. That would have been a lot of fun. Um, but um, it was a good podcast either way. And, uh, you know, we're doing something a little bit different. Yeah. On Tuesday, yep. as the start of our Chris Bosch week, um, the entire week at Raptors Rapture will be going over Chris Bosch's career with the Toronto Raptors. In one week from today, he'll be retired officially. He hasn't played in some time now, obviously, due to the blood clot issues that he's dealt with and health problems. And in one week, he'll be officially retired, and his jersey will be retired with the Miami Heat. Uh, whether that ends up getting retired with the Raptors is a whole other discussion and something we'll be covering not only here but uh, in article form as well on the site. Yeah, and you know, for anybody who uh, follows Mike on Twitter, he and in our Slack group as well, he is very, very excited about this week. So um, I'm very happy to be sharing in this discussion with you this evening, Mike, because you're just very excited about the topic, and it's a very interesting one to talk about. Yeah, you know, I I think Chris Bosh is kind of the forgotten, and we can kind of just talk about big picture things right now. And I think Bosh is one of the forgotten Raptors in many ways because his team was so unsuccessful and he you know they struggled as a franchise during his tenure but I I don't think it can be forgotten how good he was for Toronto and how great of a player he was you know obviously he'll be remembered more for his time with Miami Heat but if you just look at production on the court he was just as productive in Toronto as he was in Miami yeah um actually uh, do you mind if I tell a quick story because it's related to Chris Bosh no go ahead so um uh, you know, I'm 28 years old, right? So when, uh, so when Bosch uh, was drafted in 2003, that was really when my like conscience for basketball really, re- really came into being. Like, obviously, I was very enamored with the Vince Carter years and, and all that sort of stuff, but I don't really remember it fully. Um, but you know, I actually met Chris Bosch before he was um, uh, in the in the NBA, but was a member of the Toronto Raptors. So what's kind of cool is that, um, and I believe his first year in the NBA was the Kevin O'Neill year, the Kevin O'Neill coaching year. And uh, they actually had their preseason uh, in Waterloo, Ontario, where 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 I live. And uh, I won a contest to be one of like you know fifteen twenty kids who got to who got to uh, watch a Raptors scrimmage, and um and uh, got to do some like drills with the with, with the team at the time. And I actually got a picture of me sitting with Chris Bosh before he was ever in the NBA and he was a super cool dude and, and super nice. But that was actually one of my very first like 
conscience like basketball experiences at like 10 11 years old where i actually got to meet chris bosh but i had no idea how good he was going to be or how cool it would be so i still have that picture unfortunately it got a little crumpled at the bottom of a box but um it was still super cool to to be able to meet him before he was ever anything and he you know before he was jacked before he had the crazy uh, that uh, that haircut that was kind of bad all that sort of stuff he was just he had a simple derose early derosen like haircut and it was just a super cool thing to to experience yeah he was He's always someone who's come across as uh, very intelligent, very nice guy, seemingly. And obviously, we don't know these people for real, and you don't know what they're like. But just by all accounts of what you can see right now, very nice guy. And um, really, you know, deeper than just basketball, he really thinks about things in an abstract way. And you can tell whenever you hear him interviewed that he's just a very intelligent guy. And I, it's really a shame what happened to him in his career because... Yeah, he was on the back half of his career, but he was still had plenty of in the tank when he was forced to retire. Yeah, that I think you know it's it, it's interesting that it's uh, cropping up. Who was the guy that just had that had that in his arm that was developed? Yeah, Brandon Ingram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that that's that that's popping up all of a sudden, or it's popped up twice in a, in, in a few years here, and you know. I, I feel really bad for him too because because you know season ending things happen all the time and if you're someone like Paul George, you know you can recover from that. But when something becomes very life threatening um, in that way and you're forced to retire even though you don't want to, and I mean he tried even right like 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 there were many reports that he was working out that he was trying to prove that you know the blood clots were okay and you have to really respect that. But at the same time, you know really respect the decision to finally be like, you know what, my family's more important. Um, you know, I have, I had a great career. I was able to win two championships and, um, but yeah, but yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, he, he made the right decision obviously because no one, no one should die for any, for anything basketball related or not. So, but it it is really unfortunate what happened to him because that's just a freaky thing that he, that, that apparently keeps on recurring for him. Right. And, and I don't want to get too far ahead. I guess I'll start. Yeah. Let's start with <laughs> yeah. the beginning of his career before we, Fast forward to the back. So Bosch is drafted in the 2003 NBA draft, which is, at the time, I mean, it's, it, I wouldn't say might it's... Be the best, it might be the best draft class ever, right? Yeah, but, I don't think we can say undisputedly it is. At least at the top, I'm not sure you ever had a draft class with, you know, you can have five Hall of Famers within four, or, I'm sorry, four Hall of Famers in the first five picks which is absolutely crazy to think about. And the Raptors take Bosch number four. It goes LeBron James, Darko Milicic, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosch. Dwayne Wade goes five. What? How does the Raptors' whole identity change, and how do the Raptors change if Dwayne Wade is picked at that four spot instead of Bosch? Now, I want, I want to be clear. By all accounts, the decision wasn't between Bosch and Wade. The decision was actually between Kamen and Bosch. So clearly the Raptors made the right decision there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, but what happens if Dwayne Wade gets picked? Gosh. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I can see why they didn't at the time. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not sure why they didn't. Sorry. Maybe I should say, but I would say that the, uh, the complete identity of the team would have changed. Right. Like, like Dwayne Wade, especially early in his career, in that I mean, and obviously three years later, the 2006 season, he was he was determined, right? And he came in just that 
you know, that forward that or that small guard shooting guard, sorry, that could really take over a game and dominate a game. And and I think perhaps like he only slipped to five because people maybe thought he was too small um, at the time or but clearly his speed took up for that. But for me, I think that the identity of the team would have been completely different. And I mean, in all fairness, Dwayne Wade is a piece that would have been better to build around. Um, but at the time, too, especially in 2003, I think the game was changing so much that, um, that you know, teams teams that at the time had poor management, right? It's, it's weird to say now because the Raptors have really great front office management, but at the time really did not have good front office management. Um, they really did not see the the game evolving as it was at the time with D'Antoni and, and Steve Nash and all those guys, and then LeBron, of course, too. So they thought that you know big men and playing through big men still still worked um and and, and it was clear that you know Bosch was more of that supporting star kind of in the same way Kyle Lowry is to to Kawhi Leonard in many ways that second that second tier star who could still dominate at times but perhaps wasn't the piece to actually build around so it would have been very interesting i still feel like it wouldn't have worked and that Dwayne Wade would have made a similar decision to Chris Bosch because the Raptors just did not have the management quality to be able to put together a winning team at the time. And it's funny to think about now because the way the game has evolved and how it's changed, but at the time the Raptors had Vince Carter and they thought that those two players played the same position, Vince Carter and Dwayne Wade. And, you know, who knows if how they mesh together and the Raptors needed a big man. Now in today's NBA, of course, we know that, the goal is to get as many talented wings as possible, and it doesn't matter where they're at. We can find a spot to slide. At the time, they thought getting Chris Bosh or Chris Kamen as a big man to kind of complement Vince Carter would be really beneficial to them. Obviously, that turned out to not be the case as uh, Vince Carter was shortly gone after that, but it's funny that just in a matter of 15 years how thinking has completely changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, fi- I, I, you know, I find that interesting, too. I mean... I mean, even if you were a team that had, say, uh, you know, uh, a Kawhi Leonard or a uh, or a LeBron James, you know, for a long for a long term, a long long term, like the Raptors thought they had Vince Carter for at the time, would you still draft a versatile big man like big man like Bosch? Like, obviously, Bosch was not the shooter that even someone like a Marcus All is. Um, but would you draft someone like that if you knew you had that complementary wing piece still? Like today, I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm of the mindset, and Chris Bosh's game, and again, I don't want to step on future things that we talk about. His game translates really well to today's NBA when you talk about a guy who could defend the rim, shoot the three ball, spread the court, and yeah, he didn't shoot a lot of threes during his time. I think that was more the error than anything else. If Chris Bosh was in today's NBA, I think he would be launching more three-point attempts than he ever did when he played. Um, yeah. I think his game is really well-suited for the modern NBA, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But knowing everything you know now, you have to take Dwayne Wade because as great as Chris Bosh was, he wasn't Dwayne Wade good. Right, and I guess and I guess even if you did have – even uh, – I'm trying to think of a modern uh, – someone who was just drafted in the last two like, – like even if you had someone like a Giannis or something like that, you would still draft Dwayne Wade because I guess, you know, big men – versatile big men a while hard to find are not the biggest pieces anymore and even someone even someone lesser so can 
hold their own in a modern NBA situation. So, yeah, I guess I, I guess that's true. I guess you you know where do you think a Chris Bosh would go today, in, like in a draft? Well, I, I mean, it just depends. He was if if we know everything we know about him, and obviously you didn't know that at the draft. But if he goes in today's draft, I think it's reasonable he goes in the top five. You talk about DeAndre Ayton, who is, by all accounts, probably more of a physical specimen than Bosch was, but at yeah. the same time wasn't as modern of a player as Chris Bosch and the fact that he wasn't near the defender Chris Bosch was in college. And I, I have serious doubts whether he'll ever develop into the player that Chris Bosch was as a defender because, as we know, he was very good, particularly when he was in Miami playing alongside Bosch and or playing against or playing alongside Wade and LeBron. So uh, I'm not sure. I think that he still probably goes much higher, but considering how much center has be, been devalued, it's funny to think about. I also think that he clearly comes out as a power for or as a center now rather than a power forward. Oh, 100%. Do you think that Bosch, even in his defensive prime, could keep up with the big centers of today, like Joel Embiid? Or, or, because or, I, I, I certainly do think that he could. He might... He might try to bulk up his, you know, upper body strength a little bit more than he did back in the day because he was a little bit more of a lean player. But um, I certainly think that he could defend with the best of them even in today's NBA. Sure, because I, I think he's bigger than when you talk about like Carl Anthony Towns, and I mean I know Towns is not a good defender, but like Clint Capella doesn't strike me as much bigger than Chris Bosh was a little bit perhaps. But you can get him in a weight room, and if he's playing center instead of power forward your whole strength regimen is different and more focused on gaining bulk, particularly in the upper body, which he never did while he played. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I just find, I just find that interesting, you know, even watching, uh, even as we're watching the Raptors and the Knicks here that like, you know, Bosch would really fit in, especially like you said, with the three point shooting, he was really one of the, you know, one of the premier big guys, someone like an Amari Stoudemire at the time who was shooting threes for a big, you know, for a bigger four. Right, exactly, yeah. He was, it, and it's also funny as we talk about Bosch's career, what it would have been in the modern NBA if it would have just been under a different coach. And I, I don't think that the Raptors coaches did anything differently than most would have. Most coaches at that time would have played Bosch at the power forward. But if you think about if he was under someone like D'Antoni, what he could have been in a, like a modern seven seconds or less. And yeah, a lot of players would have been better if they played for the Suns, but it is interesting to think about if he was with a different coach who kind of valued more modern principles at the time, what he could have been. The Raptors had the worst coaches at that time, too. <laughs> I mean, Kevin O'Neill, what a disaster. I'm trying to think of who, who was after Kevin O'Neill. I, I, to be honest with you, I can't even remember. I know he was there for one of the um, uh, Jay Onright years, too, I believe. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actually 100% sure who was, oh, oh, Sam Mitchell, the Sam, Sam, he was there for a lot of the Sam Mitchell years, and those were, I mean, Sam Mitchell was an okay coach, I think he actually did quite a bit with, with a little, I mean, he started Jamario Moon half the time. Yeah, 0607 coach of the year, Sam Mitchell, so. Yeah. Uh, um, let's go into kind of what brought the Raptors down during their time with Bosch, and a, a lot of it had to do with the draft, and you know, not handling that well. Obviously, we know about Vince Carter forcing his way out. That happened very early into Chris Bosh's career. Um, but mostly what kind of brought him down in my mind is the lack of drafting as a franchise during that time. And it's funny now because we have Masai Ujiri and how well he's done in the later parts of the draft. 
that you just look at who they drafted. In 2004, it was Rafael Arreo. Uh, 2005 was Charlie Villanueva and Joey Graham. 2006, of course, was Andrew Bargnani. They didn't have their 07 pick, and they drafted Roy Hibbert in 2008, but then traded that away. So, And then 2009, eventually, was DeMar DeRozan, which obviously was a hit. So when you look at that, and Bargnani is the one that sticks out to most people, but Villanueva at 7, Joey Graham at 16, Orejo at 8, like that's a tough run, and that really was the downfall of the Chris Bosh era in Toronto. Yeah, it was, I always found the strategy really weird, because not that there's anything wrong with European players, but it almost seemed like they, they... they were just choosing European players, right? Like, like they weren't they, they weren't interested in in American players or North American players. They really wanted to build this Europe North sort of approach. I don't know if they felt that that would help them in trying to keep players, but I mean, even still, the the you, you know, like we've seen with Golden State, right? Golden State had three hits in a row in terms of drafting, right? They they drafted all three of. Curry, Green, and uh, Clay Thompson, right? That is uh, that is how you take a program from nowhere, which the Golden State Warriors used to be, to somewhere. And and I think that um, you know, obviously, obviously, no team is perfect. Nobody is perfect in drafting. I mean, we drafted Bruno. Um, or sorry, Masai Ujiri drafted Bruno. But um, yeah, I mean, it is it, it is really tough to imagine a situation where you, you, I mean, I mean, I mean, they drafted Andrea Bargnani, right? <laughs> right. Like with the number one overall pick. And I don't know, I'm not sure why they did that, especially, you know, I think, I think, I think the number two pick would have actually been a really interesting choice to play alongside. Um, uh, yeah. Aldridge would have been, and, yeah, would have been a great combo. It would have been two seven footers who at least spit, spaced the floor out to the mid range level and, perhaps not as well as Bargnani, but they at least had the spacing to make it work. And defensively, those two would have been obviously an upgrade over Bargnani, who couldn't rebound really. I mean, he averaged 4.6 rebounds per game during his career, and even during his peak, couldn't rebound the ball. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Andrea Bargnani, it, it, it's interesting too, because they were real, the Raptors in many ways were thinking ahead in that case, that they valued a seven-footer foot, who could shoot the three. But I think Bargnani's you know, drive and heart were never really, were never really in it, um, the way it should be. And perhaps again, the pressure of being a number one overall pick, um, kind of effect, kind, kind of affected him a little bit, but again, right. Like if you're Bosch and you're wit and you're going to all-star games and you're, and you're really playing really well, but the franchise is not giving you much in advance, right? Like, I mean, when you're playing alongside people like TJ Ford, um, who was fine at the time, but still, right? Um, it's it, it, it's hard to get encouraged to want to stay with that team. Sure, yeah, and it's it's not just Bargnani. It's one thing, you know, every franchise, like you said, misses. And even you can even miss at the top of the draft with Bruno Caboclo, but you have to make other moves then to make up for it because everybody misses, but you can't miss that often. And when you saw Bargnani get drafted and then you see Villanueva the year before, and I know Villanueva had a decent season for Toronto, but Joey Graham also being drafted. And these things just start to snowball into eventually you get into a situation where you can't make it all back. And that's where they found themselves at at one point. And you kind of knew that Bosch was gone. It 
it's almost as if the franchise, you know, in today's NBA, I wonder if they kind of trade him ahead of time, knowing that he probably was gone and perhaps Bosch, if, if this is the modern NBA, forces his way out. But looking back, by the time he was gone, it was already too late. And really, Toronto made their bed earlier in the franchise when they had all those drafting errors. I find it, I, I see what I find very interesting is that, you know, all the teams, all, all the, sorry, all the teams, all the names that we're talking about um, in and around, in and around this time when Bosch was probably invested with the team, probably 2006 through 2008 ish. Um, uh, you know, we're talking about, Bargnani and Joey Graham and, and Jamario Moon and, 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 and Bargnani, obviously. All these guys that, um, you know, once they left the Raptor, like, like, like they're very well known in Raptor, in Raptor circles and Raptor hardcore fans, but once they left the Raptors through trade or through signing with other teams, did you really ever hear their names ever again? Not really, and I think that's indicative of the quality of players that the Raptors were, or the quality of players that uh, Chris Bosh was playing with at that time. Yeah, um, and that kind of transitions to our next point, and I wanted to talk about was the 06-07 Raptors. Um, okay. That team loses in the first round of the playoffs, say the three seed, kind of just an improbable three seed. When you look at this roster, it was really, really bad. And the second, I mean, talk about a player ahead of his time, Anthony Parker, but when he's second on your team in minutes played, that's probably not a good thing. So we have Bosch, Anthony Parker, TJ Ford, Jorge Garbajosa, Juan Dixon, and Andrea Bargnani, a rookie Andrea Bargnani, are the six top players in minutes played per game for that team. And that just shows you where the team was at and you know how they really struggled to find a presence besides Chris Bosch. You can't be relying on Anthony Parker and Juan Dixon that much. No, and it, it, it's too bad too because I, I, you know Anthony Parker is a is a player who I don't think gets enough credit for you know what he was doing at the time because I actually thought that he was a decent defender and a uh, and a, and a really good shooter. Obviously, his sister is a legend, right? If not, like I mean, would you consider her the best female player ever? Or she's got to be one of the best, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's her, Cheryl Miller, and then there's you know there's probably couple other names that uh, are before my time that other people are probably yelling about but <laughs> um but yeah you know probably a couple others before my time that would unfortunately they didn't have a professional women's league at the time so yeah. you aren't able to really kind of remember them in the same way but at least certainly in the era that I grew up she's the first name that comes to my mind when I think of you know all-time great women's players yeah because you know it's funny because I think that Anthony Parker on a on a better team, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I also think Anthony Parker um, played with the Cavaliers when uh, LeBron was on the Cavaliers, right? Like, yeah, I believe yeah, he did. Yeah. He, um, yeah. yeah, he Anthony Parker was a very solid piece and very should be valued in that way. The problem is when you have to use him in the role that he was being used. You know, Anthony Parker is your fifth starter. is a really good player because he's a pretty good defender. He's a good shooter and he spaces the floor. Um, he's more valuable in today's game than he was during the time that he played. But, you know, Anthony Parker was a good player. He just shouldn't be. I mean, arguably, he's probably the team's second-best player. So yeah. that's where you really run into your problems. I mean, no disrespect to TJ Ford, who is a fine player himself. But, again, I mean, when we're talking about the roles they're in, and perhaps TJ Ford's better if he never gets hurt, and we don't know. But 
those guys had clear limitations on them, and Chris Bosh is really the only player that I looked at on that team, and I thought, wow, he's a difference maker. Yeah, 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 I think so, too. Um, I, I, actually, another interesting player talking about modern NBA was Jorge Garbajosa, right? Because he was another, th- you know, three, like, like jacking three sort of big man and center center position player, too, who also had a gruesome... Uh, uh, you know, career-ending injury as well with the Toronto Raptors. I believe it was the next season, the, the 2007-2008 season, where that happened. But um, yeah, and I mean, and I mean, the bench wasn't very strong either. You had Rasho Nesterovich coming off the bench as your backup center for Mo Pete. Uh, and Mo Pete. Mo <laughs> Pete, another player. You know, as we joke about this 06-07 team, and I've made plenty of jokes. And like, this is my go-to season where I point and talk about how good Chris Bosh was for the Raptors. Because that was the three seed, again, when you're talking not a very talented roster. But they were, I will give them a little bit ahead of their time. They have Chris Bosh as the center a lot of the time, spacing the floor. Andrea Bargnani also spaced the floor as a seven-footer. A lot of three-point shooting wings. Like, this team was a little bit ahead of their time. Granted, they just weren't very talented. They were like (laughs) a version that was ahead of their time, but they didn't have the necessary pieces and parts to be actually talented. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I mean it's interesting what did you think of sam mitchell as a coach he was fine I, I yeah i don't think he was some kind of huge negative and a lot of a lot of times i think that it's easy just to kind of blame him but i don't think he was a good coach by any means and i think he really kind of lacked a couple key areas that this team fell off because of it i find it interesting that a lot of the time the, the toronto raptors look from within too like like Jay Triano became the head coach after Sam Mitchell just like how Nurse became the head coach after Dwayne Casey do you think the do you think that maybe perhaps the next step if like like let's say things go really badly this year for the Toronto Raptors and Nurse's leash is a lot shorter that like 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 do you think they have a problem like getting really high profile coaches to come coach in Toronto still no, I, I think that's mostly made up. You know, I, yeah. I think that's something you probably worry with more with the players due to their age and the fact that they're all kind of younger guys. Toronto, when you're younger, perhaps it's not as cool to go across the Canadian border and all that stuff. And, you know, when you're an older guy, you just want to have, and this is stereotyping, but just in general, older guys are more ready to settle down and kind of just live their lives. And those coaches are... I think more apt to move to a nice city, even if they have to deal with a little bit of extra baggage. Although I will say it dealing, having your family have to move across the Canada or how you handle that is probably an added kind of difficulty or strain that I don't think a lot of guys probably want to deal with. So now maybe the more that I think about it, perhaps, but I, I don't think so. I find it. Uh, do you think that Sam Mitchell deserved that coach of the year? Because I find a lot of the times that, you know, unless there's a historic season like the Steve Kerr Warriors, that a lot of the time the the you know coach of the year goes to an unexpected uh, a coach or a coach who did a lot with you know a lot with very little. And in many ways, you could argue that Sam Mitchell did quite a bit with with, with a little, being the three seed in in the Eastern Conference, which at that time was very bad, but still. Yeah, I, it's something that you know I I've read about a little bit how the coach of the year basically goes to the coach who outperforms their Vegas when on over under by the most. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best coaching job. The fact that we all predicted you wrong at the beginning of the season. And (laughs) it, it, it feels like he got the award justly based on how it's been given out in the past, 
but perhaps we need to rethink the entire way of how we give out the award and actually give it to who we think is the best coach rather than the coach who outperformed their over-under total by the most. You know, I could see that argument, though, because or else it would go to the same, like, five coaches all the time, right? Sure, but, like, but I, I, I think if the award is to uh, award the best coach, then why isn't Greg Popovich winning it five times? You know, right. we do this weird thing where we're like, oh, well... I know Popovich is a better coach than Dwayne Casey, but Dwayne Casey wins coach of the year, right? I think right. that's kind of a weird and backwards way to look at it, and I'm not saying, you know, perhaps I'm wrong, and we shouldn't look at it that way, and we should look at it as the coach that overperforms expectations. But I think that if the goal of the award is to give it to the best coach, then we fail in many respects as we kind of just give it to who we think outperforms our expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I mean, sorry, we got off topic there to reminiscing about coach of the year, but I mean, sorry, we often do that, don't we? Um, but yeah, I mean, Chris, I mean, I mean, Chris Bosch was clearly the uh, best player on this, on this team by a country mile. And I mean, it, I mean, it really showed with a, within his, his numbers, right? I mean, he, he averaged, he averaged fantastic numbers all throughout his career as a Raptor, but I mean, in 06-07, he was averaging, he play, I mean, he played 69 games, started all 67 of them, played 38, averaged 38 minutes a game, which was, which is crazy. Uh, you know, he, he averaged 22.6 points and, and I mean, and how many rebounds? 10.7. So he was averaging a yeah. double-double. He's yeah. one of uh, three Raptors to ever do it. He's done it three times. Uh, the other two, and gosh, it's, it's not a very inviting list. It's Danielle Marshall and, uh, shoot, I don't have the other one right now, but it's not a great list of people who have averaged a double-double, but Chris Bosh did it three times with the Raptors, and, you know, he was really impressive throughout his entire Raptor career. Um, the last season being 09-010, that's when Bosh was leaving. And the Raptors finished 40-42. and 42. Um, It was a rough season. I... At what point did you know that Chris Bosh was gone, Matt, or did you hold out until the very bitter end? Oh man, I, I I feel like I feel like if it was now, I would have seen it coming. At the time, I I, I held out to the to till the very end. Um, you know, you, you know, like I was saying before, right? Like I had such a connection with with Chris Bosh because it was really when I. You know, you, you know, while I loved the Vince Carter years, I was a little young for the Vince Carter years. So I got really attached to the team and these players. And, you know, to see him go to the, um, the, to the Miami Heat was probably more of a shock than it would have been today because I, because I completely understood it. So I feel like I was just a little young or a little early in my basketball fandom to actually understand that, uh, that why he left. Right. And, and I think, and I think it maybe stung a little bit more than, it was because of because of the whole decision and not one, not two, not three, not four, you know, like like it felt like like, like I really bought into that narrative that he just like, you know, quit on the team or whatever. But I, I, not anymore. I really think that, you, you know, if I was Chris Bosch, I would have made the same decision, too. Here's the thing that really bothers me about Bosch and and they mention him leaving and sometimes it's brought up and they talk about him leaving and Vince Carter leaving and. To me, they're not comparable subjects. Vince Carter basically quit on his team, gave no effort during the entire season as he demanded to be traded. Chris Bosh played extremely hard throughout every single contract, and then when his time was up, 
he left to go be a free agent. I've it's really a disservice to Chris Bosch and you know I I'm not upset at Vince Carter for leaving anymore and I understand what he did. But you talk about two people handling it completely different ways. Chris Bosch handled everything the right way. He played his time, and then he left when he uh, was able to. Meanwhile, Vince Carter sat out and demanded a con or demanded a trade. I to me, those are totally different situations and circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I completely agree with you too. Like Vince, while I'm not mad at Vince Carter anymore, and I have said on this podcast before that I would love to love to see him come back at some point if they if he plays one more year it would be really cool to have him on the end of the bench but um i mean i mean chris bosh you're you're right he 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 was he was a raptor till the end right and and he got a call from he got a call from the best player on the planet at the time and and, and a champion and they said hey you want to team up and of course they were going to say that of course he was going to say yes right he was on a franchise going nowhere and um, I think I think I think that really also signaled to the Raptors organization as a whole that hey we need some leadership in here who's actually going to do something right and is going to to push to win and winning needs to be number one and I think it's I think it's really shown what what you, what is possible with a good team right like the Raptors the Raptors through the Mardro, through the Kyle Lowry era really is what it is have shown what what can happen how quickly the team's you know interest in the team can grow but that starts at the management level just how it starts in a business at the management level right you have to be able to put it together that way or else you're never going to see it so for me bosh you know no hard feelings at all man i understand what you did and you won two championships out of it too so absolutely it's it's one thing that's kind of been my sticking point with bosh throughout the years is people blame him for leaving and to me he did absolutely nothing wrong and everything he handled, he handled it like a professional. Can't blame a player for wanting to leave and obviously the success of the franchise or lack thereof it had as much to do with Chris Bosch's leaving as wanting to play in Toronto and that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean he gave the team a chance, right? Like he, he, he re-signed, he stayed here until it until it didn't make sense anymore, right? And I mean, you're ba- I mean, I mean, really, at the at the end of your second contract, you're probably at the height of your talent and skill, unless you're Kyle Lowry, right? Um, <laughs> who who only became better later on in life. But like, I mean, most players, right? That's when that that that's when they're at the height of their of their talent and ability. So, I mean, Bosch made the right decision. He gave Toronto more than a, more, more than his fair shake and chance. And it just didn't work out. And, and I, and that's okay because I think that the franchise has learned for the better, right? So let me run you through this hypothetical. What happens if Bosch never leaves? The Raptors had already drafted DeMar DeRozan. I, I think it's fair to say if Bosch doesn't leave, then Ujiri probably never signs with Toronto. So they don't have that success late in the draft, but they already have DeRozan, they already have Bosch. Is the franchise right now in a better place than it was, than it would be otherwise, or what happens to the franchise? It's funny. I, it's funny. I was actually going to say the same exact thing about uh, Masai when <laughs> when you when you said he probably never signs. You know what? I don't think I don't think the franchise isn't is as in good of a spot, um, and I think it's mostly again to do with the leadership of the team, right? Like. Like even even when MLSE started owning the Toronto Raptors, which I think was in and around the Chris Bosch time, it could be, could have been a little bit earlier. 
you know, at the time, at the time it was viewed as a second, as a secondary team to the Maple Leafs in many ways. Right. And, 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 and kind of like, uh, the Washington Wizards, for example, uh, you know, we'll just let it coast along and do its thing. It's a good thing for the city. Right. But Ujuri has proven that, you know, he's taken on the challenge of turning a, uh, you know, a team that didn't even have a desirable brand at the time. Right. And, and I mean, when I think of the Raptors now, I even, I think of their, their great brands with the colors and font and logo and all that sort of stuff. Right. And how much more sleek and cool it is and, and how different it is. And it has, and I feel like, you know, the logo has more meaning. I know some people might not like that. Some people like the classic logo, but for me, I feel like the, the newer logo has more meaning. So I don't think the, the franchise would be in as good of a spot. I don't think DeRozan would have developed as much. Um, as he did, and really DeRozan became the poster boy for pro Toronto, right? And pro, and broke that mold of players not being pro Toronto. And no one really spoke to, to Toronto like, spoke to Toronto like DeRozan did. So I think, um, I think that, you know, you know, while Bosch leaving was unfortunate, I don't think, again, the franchise would have been as good of a spot on DeRozan definitely would have never become as good as he was. Right. It's or this, is. yeah, it's this butterfly effect that obviously we have no way of, ever knowing how it unfolds. Maybe DeRozan and Bosch are one of the top combos in the league, and certainly the Miami Heat don't exist in the same fashion if Chris Bosch never goes there now. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade probably make a pretty good combo and could find themselves perhaps three role players that equal out to a Chris Bosch. But you're right. It's To me, no Chris Bosch, or with Chris Bosch, it means no Masai Ujiri. And Masai Ujiri has given this franchise just a stable core and something that you know year in, year out, you're going to make the right decision. And that's something that can't be overvalued and in many ways is more valuable than any player you can have except for maybe prime LeBron James. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, this was a guy that turned Andrea Bargnani into, into what, like, like a bunch of, a bunch of pieces, some that are still on the team, right? Like, I mean, he's... Do, do, do you know off the top of your head? I can't, I can't remember everything. Uh, but. It's, it's a pick, and I can look it up real quick. Yeah, 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 because that pick turned into, like, like, like somebody good, and, 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 and I mean, he turned, I mean, he turned on, like, like, like nothing into something. I mean, he's even done that several times this year, right? Um, turning nothing into something, and he, 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 I, he, he's one of the only people too who has said, you know, Toronto, stop feeling inferior, right? Like, I still love what he said in the uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, introductory press conference, right? Like, be proud of who you are, because you know you have a really good team. We've had a good team for six years now. Like, this is uh, uh, this is great, right? And and I think again, right? Like, he is the most valuable piece, even though even though he did learn how to be a GM and his first front office role was during that Chris Bosch era. But he also, again, probably saw the mistakes that were going on and said, once I get to that level, I'm going to learn from them. That's exactly right. And, you know, his impact on the franchise in many ways is going to be longer lasting than this. Maybe he has other things in store. I don't know if Masai Ujiri has bigger plans, but being the president of the Raptors right now, we know as long as Masai Ujiri is in place, you're at least going to be a stable franchise, and things don't always work out for the for the uh, most stable franchise. Obviously, even the most well-run organizations have their kind of downfalls, and I'm not saying that the Raptors are above that, but you at least know that you have a baseline of professionalism and a baseline of confidence 
that you weren't always sure that you had before that? MLSE, pay the man whatever he wants. Keep him around. I know eventually the NBA front offices will come calling, but, um, but, you know, for now, especially, I think you're right. Like, and I think, you know, I think, you know, I think Masai Ujiri wants to prove that he can get a team to the finals. I think the team, I think the moves this year, especially obviously have, have proven that. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, I mean, I mean, really, I think Chris Bosch, I think, you know, I really view Chris Bosch as a almost transitionary period which is unfortunate because of how good of a player he was, but he brought the team from purple to red to from, 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 you know, from Carter to DeRozan really. So he, yeah, he yeah. bookend both of those guys' careers. He ends with Vince or he begins his career with Carter and ends it with DeRozan, which really, right. you know, speaks to the time that he spanned. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, I mean, you know, a lot of players during that time too, right? Like that's really a big transitionary period for the game as well. So, um, so, but I still do think that, um, you know, it's interesting thinking if, if Chris Bosch was playing today, you see Dwayne Wade hanging it up and LeBron still, still going insanely strong. I, uh, you know, obviously I don't think Bosch would be as dominant as someone like LeBron could still be, but, um, I definitely think that he'd probably be a little bit more dominant than Wade right now, barring, of course, any crazy injuries, because he was a very good player, and he and I imagine that you know he would be jacking more threes now, and 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 still be and still be a really great rebounder and and and, and very smart defender. Yeah, you know he's six foot ten and can shoot the ball. That that ages pretty well in many respects. Mm-hmm. He, when he was when he retired uh, with Miami that last season, and that's now. Uh, Four years or three years ago, I'm sorry, he was averaging 19 and 7.4. And obviously, you never know if he has another type of injury which derails his career. But in many respects, Chris Bosch was playing, you know, some of his best basketball in those later years of his career when he was with Miami. Um, as we just kind of wrap up here, where does Chris Bosch rank for you as an all time Raptor? And do you think that his jersey ultimately gets retired? It's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's hard for me because, um, I feel like, I feel like his legacy as a Raptor has been tainted perhaps a little bit by comments made recently. Um, at the time, at the time I would have said, Oh, hundred percent, like, 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 like that definitely would have happened. And, 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 you know, things, things stick within the Raptor lexicon, like, like CB4, Chris Bosch 4. And I don't know if anybody else has worn the number four since 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 he left the team. I'd have to check, but um, I ultimately think it doesn't happen. I just think that um, you know, two players, even I mean, depending on what happens with Lowry, right? Two to three players have had a bigger impact on the franchise as a whole. Car, you know, I'm in the camp. I'm in the camp that. Even though, even though Vince left in not the best way, he really, really put the Raptors on the map um, at a time when there were many other stars like Kobe, um, even like late Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan Wizards, um, you know, all like all those other things that were going on. Allen Iverson, right? He really stood out and gave the Raptors a name and gave the Raptors a reason to to exist, right? And I think that that can't go unnoticed. And I mean, he's also provided one of the the 
the, the like one of, like one of the greatest NBA highlights is the Vince Carter 2000 dunk contest, and he's a Toronto Raptor at that time, right? So I think I, I I think that can't go unnoticed, and I think Vince has you know really evolved his feelings for Toronto, and and and, and I feel that every time he returns, it is it is really important you know really important to him in many ways. And then DeRozan, obviously, you know, Mister Toronto, I think he did a lot too, and, and and I mean Lowry's Lowry's story is still being written as well. So who knows? But I ultimately think that Bosch's impact just wasn't enough. And, and that, and again, you know, many of the reasons could have been management. But in the end, I don't think he makes it. I agree with you. Uh, I used to be in the camp that I thought Chris Bosch deserved to have his jersey retired. I reflected it and kind of talked with a few more people about it. And this is something that I've changed my mind on. He, at his peak, and really at multiple times throughout his entire Raptor career, was a better player than DeMar DeRozan was. He was more impactful at the game's highest level, in my opinion. He had a bigger impact on winning than DeRozan did. But having your jersey retired isn't just about your accomplishments on the court. It's also about kind of what you meant to the franchise and what you did for the city as a whole. And in that respect, Bosch isn't the same player DeRozan is, and he's really not even the same player as Lowry is. When you talk about Lowry's sustained impact on the Raptors and what he's able to help them to, obviously there's more to be talked about with Lowry, but in my mind, you right now he's fourth on the list, and if you want to retire four different people, Jersey, that's fine. 25 years into your franchise, or just on, uh, just under that right now, but 25 years in, I don't think you need to have four people already retired and in that respect I'm going to place him fourth and for that record he's out and I think he deserves to have his jersey retired in Miami I think he's an all-time Raptor great to me he's fourth when we talk about most impactful on the franchise but I don't think that he gets his jersey retired and I'm okay with that yeah and 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 you know in terms of jersey retirings at all like Right now, right now, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to see a jersey retired. Like, perhaps you know, players respecting, um, uh, players respecting, uh, uh, you know, other like DeRozan not wearing number ten, Lowry not wearing number seven, right? But I, I, I feel that this franchise is at a turning point, and and, and who knows how far it can go, right? Like, if the franchise continues to grow and build, uh, who knows what happens with Kawhi Leonard, right? Um. I mean, I mean, DeRozan's impact might become a little lessened over time, right? Um, I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he, yes, he got traded, but, you know, at the end, he, he, he kind of, he, he kind of didn't leave the, the, the Raptors in the best way either, right? With his play on the court. So, which I, which I always find to be a thing that's not always remembered really or, or forgotten about very easily. So, right now, I feel like the, the Raptors are just best if they, if they don't retire a number, Unless they feel Vince's impact is is very big, because I feel like the story is still being written for the franchise of what the franchise is. Sure, and that's you know why you wait till the player retires and preferably some time after that. So we'll have DeRozan has twenty more years in the tank, at least you know, yeah. five to six more. So we'll have time to kind of let his impact sit and let it resonate with the franchise, and we'll see where it's at at that time. Vince Carter will be the one. Where they really have to make the decision that's going to come up, if not this off season, you know, shortly. So we'll yeah. see. I don't ultimately. I don't think Bosch makes it as a jersey retire, but he does make you know for what it's worth the Mount Rushmore of Raptor greats at this time. 
Oh, definitely. definitely. All right, Matt. Thank you for talking with me. Yeah, no problem.